This podcast has bad words in it. You have been warned. I'm Zach Bohannon. I make my living telling stories, but I'm also a metalhead, retired drummer, avid gamer, and most importantly, a loving husband and father. Join me each week as I sit down with a fellow dad and discuss balancing a creative life with family, careers, hobbies, and all the other things guys love. This is the Creator Dad Podcast. Dude, Chad, it's been way too long since we've talked, man. How are you doing? It really has. I'm, I'm doing really well. And I'm, I was shocked that you, because we keep in contact, but no. Yeah. Not a lot, and so I was shocked when you you know sent me the invite, and uh, very pleased. So <laughs> Why thank were you, you. Shocked, you're a creator and a dad, and you're one of my you're one of my oldest buddies in this in this business. Yeah, so. I don't know. Maybe it's because um, I don't I don't know because we don't talk a whole lot. Yeah, right? yeah. There's honestly like um, there I don't talk to a whole lot of my writer, especially since I'm not on social media anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I haven't been on social media at all for three years, and nice. so. Um, so it's got to feel good. It's awesome. Like I, I, I love it. I mean, uh, especially these last couple of years, it's been really nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you were, you were, you were joking beforehand, uh, before we came on about, let's talk about politics. And it's yeah. like, dude, I miss all <laughs> that stuff, not being on social media, like all the political stuff, all, I mean, it, like going through the last couple of years with the election and like with COVID and all this stuff. I mean, it, it has been so good for my mental health, not being on there. Yeah. I could tell you that much. Yeah, but, I can uh, imagine. Yeah, it's awesome. So, um, and and it's my book sales have been fine. So that's the thing everyone always asks me. They're like, "Well, how are you an author and not be in social media?" And I'm like, "Maybe it's because I write post apoc, and I don't think those authors really care about social or the readers really yeah. care about social media. I don't know, but I just I, I think people um, I think people overestimate how much social media sells books." <laughs> I, I, I know I do because, and I think that's because I didn't really sell any um, until I started really utilizing social media like uh, a lot. And it was funny because I was talking to Dan Padovan the other day, like yeah. a week ago, and he's not on social media either. I mean, he posts the occasional thing on Instagram or stuff, but it's all family related. Yeah. And um, he says he sells zero books through social media. And I'm just like, I mean, that is my that is that's the only way that i sell books and of course well granted too you guys are also writing in a series which is yeah that's way more it's way more popular um but yeah it's weird because i have to like network within all these circles and and it's like i do like meeting new people and networking but also um yeah, just being on uh, everybody who's on social media hates social media. I know. Yeah. And it just feels for me, it feels like this necessary evil so that I can sell books. And I would love to be able to, you know, I'm still that stubborn, stubborn writer who hasn't caved to like the series yet. And I'm still trying to do, you know, my own thing. And and I, I do Amazon ads, but mostly for no content books that I have on Amazon. They don't okay. do really well for my other stuff. Yeah. And, uh, so I would love to get to that point where I could just give the middle finger to Twitter and uh, say, see you later, suckers. And then, you know, sell four times as many books. That would be great. I mean, the thing is, I mean, it's there's I mean, things would definitely be easier for me if I was on there. Like, I I, yeah. I think it would. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say it doesn't sell books at all, you mm-hmm. know, but I just 
Yeah, and, and I, I think that because I know I know there's writers who are listening to this who are going to be like, well, the point you know, they're going to bring this up is uh, a lot of it is about connecting with your readers. It's not necessarily just about selling to them, but like, yeah, I have other ways I do that. I mean, I have a, I, I, I do most of that through my mailing list, you know, like if yeah. people really want to communicate with me and they really want to know what's going on. They can, they can jump on my mailing list, mm-hmm. you know, and, but yeah. things would be easier for me if I was on social media. I just, um, I've just kind of put my flag in and I'm, I just know I'm a happier person because of it. And like when I weigh the pros and cons, it just, it just, I don't know. To me, it just makes a lot of sense not to be on there. And it's time consuming, you know, it is between having it bring you down mentally and emotionally, which could affect your writing, then it's taking time away from writing too. So who's to say that you, you are missing out on any, you know, uh, it could hinder your writing, hence hinder your, you know, book sales, your future book sales. And who knows? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and, and recently it was funny. I, uh, I always kind of told myself, I was like, if I go back to one, it would probably be Instagram. And cause I really like Instagram was the one I enjoyed the most when I was on social media. And yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I down, I re-downloaded it just to see what was going on. And I, I think I had it on my phone for like five minutes before I was just like, Nope. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, this, this is already bringing me down and I've only been on here for five minutes, but it's the one, if you think about that, that's, I mean, it's pretty much drama free. There's no real way to, um, to have or be a part of and constantly see drama because it's about uh you know this visual thing so partially yeah partially i I do think though there is an interesting aspect of it of um i think the i think where instagram really gets interesting is and where it can really mess with people is i think on instagram people only post like the highlights of their lives and it for for people who are looking at that it can create a lot of fomo yeah and a lot of fear of missing out and and stuff like that and i mean like you know if i i, I go on there and i see like a friend is having this like beautiful vacation i'm like man mm-hmm. like why am i not on a beautiful vacation <laughs> like, and i'm not necessarily saying me i'm like that but i know that that is one of the big things with instagram and like mm-hmm. um you know why can't i look like that why can't i do this and but people are only they're not posting they're only they're usually posting the highlights from their life like and, and yeah. making it look like you know, yeah, you know what i'm a- saying it's a highlight reel for sure. And yeah, it's, I think even, I think younger people in particular probably should stay away from it because they don't understand that. They don't, um, yeah, understand that this, these are heavily edited lives and that the person that's posting this or, or this gorgeous girl that just took 200, video, 200 photos to get the one photo that has a filter on it that makes her look perfect. You know, it can, I, I would think, especially for uh, young girls, that's probably, it's not a good idea, man. Now, how, um, uh, remind me again, how many kids do you have? I have three. You have three. Mm-hmm. And how old are they? Uh, my daughter is uh, 35. My, um, man, I'm really showing my age here. That's I? okay. <laughs> <laughs> my my uh, second youngest is 25. And then Nakota, my youngest too, will be 17 next month. Okay. So like, so how you handled that? I mean, your, your kids have, especially your youngest one, I mean, really mm-hmm. your youngest two, I guess, mm-hmm. have grown up as teenagers with social media being a thing. Like, yeah. so how, how have you, hand, cause I'm, I'm asking like my daughter is seven. So, right. and, and, and like, who knows by the time she is 14 or 15, I mean, who knows what it's going to look like, especially mm-hmm. with people talking about the metaverse and virtual reality and all this stuff. Yeah. Like there's, I don't like it scares the crap out of me to even think mm-hmm. about it. But like, how did, how, like, how did you handle that? 
Um, not as well as I would have liked, you know, as you know, having kids is kind of like, they're like these guinea pigs. You don't, you kind of know what you're doing and you hope that you know what you're doing and you try your best and you use your own example. Uh, uh, your own life is an example, like this stuff that I didn't agree with my parents. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to use these things that I thought were a good idea. And you're still going to, and then each kid you kind of get better at, I guess. Um, but uh, and the reason why I say not as, not as good as I would have liked, because my wife and I, you know, we've been together for 31 years, but she, um, we don't see eye to eye on some things because she's more naive than I am. For example, a phone, a cell phone. I'm like, you know, she wanted to get, um, our youngest, a phone when he was like 12. I was like, you don't understand boys. Um, yeah. if I had a phone when I was 12, me too. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want to know what I'd be doing with that phone. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'd have this, uh, special addiction by the time I was 12 and a half. So, uh, it's that kind of thing. You know, I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of things like what we were talking about, like the, the body image and stuff, um, from looking at, um, other people's lives and just jealousy and thinking they're not good enough or whatever, um, to, you know, pornography and, and all kinds of things to just time consuming. And then, and then you, you, instead of being a part of something, a lot of kids are watching someone else be a part of something, watch someone else be really good at a video, video game or guitar or whatever, instead of you partaking in, in doing that yourself. And you're watching someone else, you know, excel in life. And um, which I've been guilty of too, you know, yeah. watching live videos instead of playing my own, guitar or something you know but um my wife and i we don't really see eye to eye on that and she um so we have had arguments some of our it's kind of what we argue about most probably is like different ways like that on raising kids so i often lose those battles and um if it were up to me i probably wouldn't let my kids have a phone until they were at least i don't know 16 you know I see some kids and, and their kids have, or some, some adults and their, their kids have phones when they're like five. And I, I just don't agree with that. And I think that's a recipe for future disaster. And the average, I think the average kid now is exposed to pornography by the age of like seven. Oh, wow. And it's, and if you think about, we're not just talking about a pair of tits, we're talking about, I mean, the, which is what I was used to seeing when I was young, you know, yeah. just Playboy magazine or penthouse or something like that. That's not how pornography is nowadays. No, you know, it's pretty rough and, and uh, they have this really skewed vision. And by the time they're ready to be in this relationship, um, they, I, I'm afraid a lot of these kids are going to have, yeah, just this strange idea about sex and about love and, may not find the satisfaction that they're looking for because they think that what they've been watching is is real life and it's a whole thing dude yeah it's a whole thing i could go on about just pornography alone and that's Uh, only one aspect of of it's only one internet i mean yeah yeah but but you're no you're totally right i mean there are so many studies about that and just how um like i use the word desensitizing it is and like again you know people uh, even, I mean, that happens with adults with pornography. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Sure. But, 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 uh, uh, of, you know, getting this idea of what sex is and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're totally right. I mean, it's, um, and, and, and you add in the aspect of what I was talking about a minute ago, where 
Like, where does that go once it's like the idea of getting on Facebook or something is putting on a headset and you're actually talking to your friend's avatar or like, I yeah. mean, you know, the porn industry is just salivating at that stuff, yeah. you yeah. know? Um, so I like, I don't know, man, it's, it's, we haven't even had the conversation about a phone yet. I mean, like mm -hmm. there are kids in Haley's class that have them and I'm just like, I can't, I don't get it. I, uh, I mean, and it's uh, hard to fight when they come to you and they're like, well, so-and-so has a phone and so-and-so. So you look like a bad parent and you just got to be like, just, you got to trust me. When you, if you were in my shoes, you'd be doing the same thing and you're not going to. I just don't understand from the parent's perspective why they think their kids need it. Like I, like other than, because the thing you'll hear is, well, like it's good for me to be able to get in touch with them. It's like, mm -hmm. I mean, like, I mean, when we were kids, you know, like, I mean, I remember, uh, I mean, I'm a little younger than you. I have to make the same jokes to you. I make to Jay all the time, but like, <laughs> you know, I, um, but I, dude, I would just like disappear for hours, you know, now yeah. I was old enough I, or I, I was, um, you know, I, I was a, like kind of a teen in the night in the nineties. So mm -hmm. like, I do remember my mom being like, you better be, you better be five minutes from a payphone if your beeper goes off, yeah. <laughs> you know, type of thing. But like, that's not the same. I don't know. It's just, it, it's, uh, it's, it is really, really disturbing. And people, and I just think people are doing it and giving them to their kids without even thinking it through, like, yeah, what they are giving their children access to. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's yeah, it's like a. Um, it, it's kind of, I liken it to, um, there are some parents, I'm completely guilty of this myself. I'm sure we all are that at one point we think we're rewarding our children. Like, let's say, yes. Hey, you did really good. I'm going to go take you to McDonald's and get you a candy bar. Yes. It feels like a reward. That's not really a reward because <laughs> it's not healthy for them. No. And so it's that kind of thing where, well, uh, you know, it, the instant gratification and this feels like a reward and almost like a, this strange, um, Americanized, um, like, um, um, uh, yeah, reward, I guess, I traditional, traditional reward, you yeah. know, like, of course, yeah, you, you did good at that thing. So let's, <clears throat> let's go get you all bogged down with, um, ice cream or whatever. Not to say I, I don't give my kids, you know, ice cream and stuff like yeah, that. No, but dude, it, you said it, we're all, I'm guilty of that stuff too. Like, yeah. We all are. And it know? just feels like my daughter, she raises her kids completely different you know they'll be here and she'll like drop them off because i have grandkids too she'll drop them off yeah. and uh, the littlest one will have like a bag of candy she's running around with and i'm just like what? you know so you're gonna rot her teeth and and uh and she's just she's gonna like be crashing from the sugar and all this kind of stuff it's like it's not really it's not really reward reward and i think that um naive naivety plays a part with uh parents who think that the phone is a reward and because they're so popular and so much can be done. And it's also a, uh, a, a babysitter. Um, oh, a hundred percent. So, you know, and I'm guilty of that. I mean, me too. In my, my, the, in the I'm, same way that a TV is in a DVD player or something. I mean, as we're recording right now, like, uh, you know, I usually record these while my daughter's at school, but I do have some time slots that are a little later, but like, mm -hmm. so you picked one of those, like, she's out like my wife is at work and Haley yeah. is sitting on the living room right now playing switch <laughs> like yeah. so you know so yeah. i we're, we're you know now sometimes we have, they're i have like we have timers and stuff set on them so mm -hmm. like there's only so much she can do a day and it turns off no, but still good. like it's totally being a babysitter right now yeah you know yeah it, yeah and i'm totally guilty of that too i think uh 
back in the day, the babysitter was kind of like the, uh, well, depending on their age, like the, the um, swing that you put them in when they're real young. Yeah. And you just, you could leave them in there all day and they're content or whatever. And you could do the stuff that you need to do. And now it's, as they get older, it's, you know, cell phone or, or a, just a TV screen or an iPad or. Well, we're both old enough though, to remember when the babysitter was outside. <laughs> it was just yeah. be oh, outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel bad for my, especially my youngest kind of, because yeah. I'm just like, you know, his thought press process is like, I mean, he, he, he would rather be outside, yeah. but he's kind of selective with his friends thank God. Like if he knows somebody's like getting high and stuff, he's just not interested in hanging out uh, with them. So the, in my town, you know, that's, it seems like everybody is, uh, you know, getting high and stuff. And and so he's just not interested in hanging out with uh, people who are doing that. So his, his chances of going out and being active are dwindled down to just a couple couple really close friends that he hangs out with on a regular basis but he would rather um be going out and doing something like outside than than playing video games but if he can't do that then that's what he's usually playing video games despite me trying to get you know i bought him a bass i started uh because i didn't think he really i thought well let's start with bass it's easier i don't think he wants to play guitar so i try to teach him some stuff he's just not interested in that kind of he's a lot different than i am in some areas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just got our daughter a piano and or a key, a keyboard for, for mm. Christmas. And she's like, cause she's just, I can tell she's got the music book and yes. she's really, really taken to it. And it's, it's been really awesome to watch, but, uh, but yeah, there was one other, th- like it, one other thing I would bring up and then we'll, we'll talk about, uh, I want to talk about some other stuff, but, uh, mm-hmm. I'll tell you another interesting thing, and maybe you've experienced this with your younger kids, but, um, like friends of mine who have kids that are teenagers, like uh, have told me that over the past, like several years, like one thing that kids, especially teenage boys have been like really weird about getting their driver's license. Like, did you deal with any of that type of stuff? What do you mean? Because my son is my Nakota, my youngest. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have his license, but he doesn't really care. He doesn't want, that's it. what I'm saying. Yeah. Really? Like, that's a thing. Yeah. Like they just, yeah. We're, like, uh, where kids, uh, I, I know several parents who, really? um, I, there's a friend of mine who lives down the street and her son is like, uh, 18 or 19 and won't get his license. Mm-hmm. And he, and, and it's just, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because they don't want the responsibility or if it's cause they'd rather, I think a big part of it is, and I, I think in some of these kids instances is that, um, they don't really feel like they need it because they just play video games with their friend. They do everything online now. So mm. like, they don't need to go meet their friend at the bowling alley or whatever. Like we used to do, you know, or go to the mall. Right. Like they just do it all online. But yeah, it's like, that's a thing. And it, it's, I mean, I remember when I turned like the day I turned 16, I wanted to go get my license. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a big getting fast deal. enough. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it, it's just, we, that's a weird thing. I don't know, but it's definitely a thing. I hadn't, that's okay. That's weird, man. Because I thought it was just my kid. I thought no. it was like, well, okay. If you don't want to drive yet, because he has ADD too. And so I'm scared to death that he can't pay attention to at this point, even with our, our uh, second youngest, he, um, he, he didn't get his license until he was, I think almost 18 and he wasn't that concerned. And I remember, I remember when he turned 16 he knew, and, and my wife and I talked, he's not ready. I'm not putting this kid on the road. Like, 
not everybody should be able to do things at the same, um, yeah. you know, like even voting or, or whatever, 100%. drinking, drinking alcohol, whatever it is, not everybody's at that same level of maturity. Yeah. And I knew that Elijah, uh, was not ready to, um, get behind the wheel of a car. So we waited a little bit and he was totally cool about it. Never bugged us about it. And then Nakota being like that, it was just like, it's just, just my weird kids that did. So I didn't know it was a thing. That's very it's interesting. definitely a thing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said, I know several instances of that and it's in oh. it's and it's specifically more with boys. So huh. yeah, it's, it's, it's something I've been meaning to look into, but, um, hmm. but, but I don't know, maybe we'll get some feedback from other parents on the podcast or something. I'd be kind of, I'd be kind of curious to hear if anyone else is having this issue. Yeah. So, but, uh, well, you mentioned, um, you mentioned music, man. And I know you've been, you can, you, you've kind of, e- you emailed me and Jay, I, I guess like a week or so ago, yeah. and we're kind of talking about that some. So, mm-hmm. um, like, so what, what have you, I know you've been working on stuff with music lately, right? Like kind of yeah. just for, like projects for fun or whatever. Yeah. Um, I bought some home recording stuff years ago. Um, like the, the just really nice speakers and mics and I bought some, uh, software and like, I've had all kinds of stuff, but then I, once I buy it and I spend hundreds of dollars on this stuff and then I don't take the time to, cause it's a learning curve with each it thing, is. you know, like I bought a nice digital eight track. I had a four analog four track that I recorded a bunch of stuff years ago and I wanted to do stuff on my own because nearly every band that I've ever been in, I was always like the primary songwriter. Yeah. And so not that that's how I liked it. I, I like actually being in a band more where other people are, are participating more than just me. And I'm like, you play this, you play, I don't like, I don't, I don't want to be Billy Corgan, you know? Yeah. And I, I like that uh, camaraderie of it. Just everybody throwing their stuff in the pot and then we're stirring it together. So, but when it comes to, you know, doing the solo stuff, since I, I like to do that anyway, but it's a learning curve and I would just got kind of get lazy and not do it. And I, and since I haven't been in a band for a long time, I hadn't even written a song in years because it was kind of like, or pick up my guitar much at all. Cause it was like, well, why bother? I'm not in a band anymore and I'm writing now. So, and then somebody reached out to me, a drummer who, who reviews for a website and he's a really good drummer and he's been in a couple metal bands. I saw their videos on uh, online and really cool guy. And he's like, Hey, if you ever want to record some riffs and send them my way, you know, maybe we can do something. And I've always wanted to, to do that remotely with, um, with people. I always thought it was really cool. Um, I did an interview with the, <clears throat> like 20, maybe 22 years ago, I had a ma- my own magazine and I interviewed the singer for DRI, Kurt Breck. And he was talking about how he had just got done doing the ProBot project. And so he was nice. telling me, he was telling me how that went down. And how Grohl reached out to him and how he recorded that and stuff. And, and I just thought, man, and you know, this is 22 years ago. And this, so this is, it dawned on me then it was like, this is really how people are going to start recording music is just like, they never meet. And they're just like, lay something down here. Cause it's how it was, you know, Dave was just like, Hey, you're one of my, you know, singers I grew up with. I got the song. And then you just, just like, you know, write whatever you want and lay down vocals, however you want. And then he sent it back to him. And I just thought um, that would be really cool to do, to, to be writing with people rather than trying to uh, settle for, you know, that drummer that 
I mean, you probably know this as a drummer. If you've got a bad drummer, your band, your band your is band sucks. Really limited. Yeah. <laughs> There's only so much yeah. that you can do. Yep. And so, and I've been in that position and then you, maybe you get a new band or a new drummer. It's like, wow, everything is just, all these doors are open now. We can do this stuff now. And so instead of settling for um, being like, uh, you know, having that drummer or that musician or whatever, that maybe that guy's an, uh, a jerk or whatever, and you got to deal with that. Now you've got all, the, all this other the rest of the world that you can, you know, network with people. And so when he said that, I thought um, his name is Jason. When he said that, I was like, man, maybe I should, you know, I've, I've had garage band. I never messed with it. I only had it for a couple of years and I don't know how to do that. Any of that other stuff, maybe garage band is like easier and I don't have to, you know, try quite as hard, you know, maybe the learning curve isn't quite so bad. And so I wrote a song really quick and um, um, just, put everything together fairly quick, a demo. And then um, it was easy. And then it kind of reignited my passion for writing music. And I thought um, I would want to do this, but my stuff is, I, I listen to, I'm very diverse musically as far as listening to it. I can't necessarily write the things I would like to be able to write because I've always been in metal bands or punk rock and hardcore bands. But like my favorite bands like The Cure, so I would love to write that kind of stuff. Not sure that I could, but I would love to be able to have like different CDs of my own stuff. Like one's just straight up hardcore punk, aggressive, angry stuff. And then this other one is like this beautiful, like Sade, smooth jazz thing. And then you've got this post-punk goth thing and then a stoner rock. And I'd love to be able to do that because that's what I listen to. I can't listen to punk all day. I'm 52, I'm old. I'll be 52 next month. Yeah. I'm old. I'm not angry <laughs> you know, all the time anymore I, I i listen to more probably more sade and the cure and, and uh, uh jazz and stuff like that and even old madonna than i do anything else you know so um i just don't know that i know how to write that but i don't know if that answers your question but uh no it does for sure yeah yeah, yeah and pe people man like so at one point probably i guess it would have been probably 12 years ago now or so um basically our house that I'm in now was a recording studio. Like, cause mm. my wife was a singer in a, the last band I was in <clears throat> and, and we like recorded an album here and, and we used garage band nice. and, and, and it's like people underestimate, you know, what you can do with simple software. It's amazing. Like Dude, and, and the thing that, is, go ahead. I had that when I was a kid. Oh my gosh. I know. And it's so cheap to like, as far as I know, I think it still is so cheap to like get, get a CD made and, you know, oh, get yourself a couple hundred of them, dude, if I had that, cause back in the day, you know, um, I was in my first band, like mid to late eighties yeah. and it was just like a, whoever had the best like jam box and you test it by, you know, putting it closer to the drums. Okay. Farther away. Oh, let's hear what it sounds like. And then you just make this basement tape. And then I've, I've even made a tape where, I, instead of using a microphone, I had to, after we figured out where it sounded best, I sang really close without a mic into the, um, into the, you know, the, the little recording thing on the jam box. And yeah. so that's how it picked up the vocals. Nobody else could hear the vocals, but then when you played it back, um, you could hear it on there. So, and then, you know, making our own t-shirts and, and um, flyers and all that kind of stuff. And, and now you can, um, just do that right in your house. It just amazes me. And it's, it's exciting. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember, I remember being in a band and, 
you know, we were like stressing out because we really wanted to go record. And it was like, you know, Money. Like $50 an hour or a hundred dollars yeah. an hour. And we're just like, where are we going to get that money? <laughs> yeah. Know? And now it's like, I mean, you could spend not a whole lot of money and, and use software on your computer and, and be making music. And it's awesome. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it really has broken down a lot of barriers. And, and like you said, the idea of being able to, uh, to, um, you know, you mentioned like doing it remotely. I, I, rem- I told the story recently on writers Inc. Um, when we had Kevin J Anderson on, mm-hmm. um, one of my, one of my buddies, is this guy, Chris Brown. And he was the first person I remember doing this. He had this prog rock band called ghost circus and it was just him and one other guy. And he lived here in Tennessee and his drummer. And I I think the guy played keyboards and stuff too lived, I think in the Netherlands or Denmark or something. Okay. And this was in like 2007, 2008. Like this was the first time I heard about someone doing this. And um, like Chris ended up, but Chris also ended up um, playing on this prog record with like some of the biggest names in prog rock. Like it had James Labrie from Dream Theater on it, like all these people. Nice. And it was it was it was a soundtrack to one of Kevin J. Anderson's sci-fi series. Um, and uh, and but but Chris like laid down guitar tracks remotely on it, and and uh, and it was like I it blew my mind. I was just mm-hmm. like, I can't believe you can do that, <laughs> you know. And and now that's just a ray. I mean, even when you look at this last year, like COVID. I mean, how many artists were collaborating to do cover songs and stuff and post them on YouTube? You know, <laughs> like uh, it was. It's, it's just interesting. That's crazy that you said that because when I wrote that song really quick, I just I grabbed a book that I put out a couple years ago, like this kind of dark drama thing. And uh, I opened the first chapter and I wrote a song based on the first chapter. And then after I realized I liked this song and I was like, well, maybe I'll make my own soundtrack for this for this book because it, it is kind of part of a series. I didn't know it was going to be. So I wrote the book, then wrote a prequel, then knew I was going to make a prequel to the prequel. And then I'll just put them out as a as a thing together or whatever. But I thought, man, I should do a, like a soundtrack just to for this um for this book and then more i thought about it. and because the the book the book is kind of like moody and there's uh very punk rock parts in it so i was going to make it kind of like that and have different genres in the and a lot of soundtracks are like that anyway um different uh you know like the a lot of i've seen i some of my favorite soundtracks have just like um some really cool punk in it and then some really cool like new age type of type of stuff so i wanted to make something like that and he doesn't know this yet but i was going to ask and it, when you were talking about this guy getting all these other people, I've known, uh, I don't know if you know who the accused are, but I've known the yeah. singer for about 25 years. Okay. And I, you know, I've done a lot of artwork for them and stuff. And so we've, we're kind of, you know, long distance buddies or whatever. And I grew up with that band and they've always been one of my all time favorite bands since I was like 17. And so I would love to get that dude's crazy voice on. Uh, I, I know that he'd probably do it if he had the means to, but uh, he doesn't know it, but um, yeah, Blaine, if you ever hear this, buddy, I'm going to be asking you if you'll, <laughs> if you'll scream for a minute for me. That'd be great. That's always a funny thing too, when you get to, I guess, quote unquote, like meet your heroes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and become friends with them. I had a similar thing happen to me. Like one of my favorite bands growing up um, was, uh, do you know the Christian metal band Living Sacrifice? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Br- Bruce, the singer, has become like mm-hmm. a buddy of mine. Nice. Um, like just an acquaintance. Like, um, but for a while, I like when I used to be a personal trainer at a gym, he was like one of my clients. And oh, cool. Uh, but they were like my band Kerygma that I was in for a long time. That was like the band I was like closest to making it in. Like they were like our biggest influence. And we went to their farewell show, like when they originally broke up and it was a big, and then later on I got to meet Bruce and like become buddies with them. And, um, and actually I'm, it's funny. I need to email him because I want to have him on this show. Very um, cool. But uh, it's, but that's just always a funny thing when that, when that happens, you know, and yeah. when, when they did a reunion record, I actually went over and um, let them borrow a bunch of percussion because the company I was working at, I was able to borrow a bunch and I ended up like, playing a little bit on, on their record and i'm in the liner notes and everything so dude that's awesome which was really cool yeah it was it was awesome because my buddy uh uh jeremiah who is in the band demon hunter um oh. was w- was recording them so mm. uh anyways it, it that's always that's always a funny thing though when you get to you know meet you look them. like you should be in demon hunter dude <laughs> i do kind of look like their drummer <laughs> <laughs> their drummer um uh so i used to work for minor symbols Mm-hmm. yeah and their drummer yogi was one of our artists and he would come in and stuff and it was just funny because i was like i, I totally look like <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah but uh but yeah man it's it's funny i i you know i i definitely have times where i miss playing music because i don't have a drum set right now mm-hmm. um i just don't have the space in my house right now but um i'm eventually um i'm then the next couple years like we're gonna do some we've been talking about doing some stuff in our garage to make it like a rec space mm-hmm. but even if not i'm gonna buy like i'm gonna at a minimum buy like a really good electronic kit and uh, you're not gonna have a midlife crisis and get the whole cage and everything and uh, have the big those days are over for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i had i had a big old drum kit before and so i think i'm gonna buy like a really nice roland electric kit like i'm gonna spend a you know a couple thousand bucks on it yeah um and then but it'd be cool because then i also like that's super easy to record with so mm-hmm. I can, like you're saying, you know, I could hit up buddies of mine and be like, Hey, like, yeah, you lay down some guitar and vocals to this drum track, you know, that, that yeah. I recorded and stuff. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll see where it goes, but, um, be yeah. cool. so dude, let's talk about your writing. Um, okay. so, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, like, so one thing I've always loved about you, man is, and, and I, and I'll be really frank with you here. Like I used to, I used, I used to kind of just be like, shake my head and be like, man, that dude, like, you know, he, uh, what am I trying to say? Like, like you mentioned, you didn't write series. And I was like, man, that guy should just write a series. Like he should, he should do what everybody else is doing. And like, he might be able to, you know, really take off and stuff. Cause you're such a good writer. Thank you. And, but, but the, but the further along I've come and like the more I've gotten into this, the more I actually appreciate what you're doing and the fact that you are like you've kind of just done what you want to do and you've really stuck to your guns and you write the stuff you love and because you know um like i I, jay and jay asked he asked he's asked me on several podcasts before like do i feel trapped writing zombie stuff and yeah Mm -hmm. i kind of do sometimes yeah you know i love it and i love writing the post-apoc stuff but like also like i kind of have other stuff i want to write and i have I have, I definitely have standalone novels I want to write, but like right now I just can't afford necessarily to do that. But like, <laughs> but I love that you have kind of just stuck to your guns and know what you want to do. And like, it's been like a slow growth for you, but I mean, yeah. you know, you've started to work with good publishers and do all this stuff. And 
Um, so I don't know if there's like a question in there, but like, I guess I just say like kudos to you for that. Well, thank you. I I appreciate that. And yeah, yeah, I've always felt like when I'm hanging out with you and Jay where, yeah, it's like you guys are doing the thing that I wish I could do. And it's like, I don't know, man. It's like, I'm, I'm not one of these people who, who, I, I absolutely feel like, oh, I have to write. And if I don't get the words out, I'm going to die. I'm not like that. I'm yeah. ultimately, I, I want to get paid and I want to, I want to, I want to make money. And I know that to do that, I'm not necessarily doing the right thing. And because I'm not that passionate guy who absolutely has to write, um, when I do write, it has to be something that I really want to do. And I've, I've started two series, um, but I'm like, man, can I even, by the time I get done with the first book in the series, I'm like, so I'm supposed to write two more now, like really quick. And then, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm already burned out on this one. And one of the series I'm going to continue for the sure. The other one was kind of an experiment that I was basically writing to market, but having my voice in it and yeah. going by my rules instead of like having this, uh, even, even so much as the cover, because I understand what's selling, but it's hard for me to, and I don't know if it's because I'm an artist and I do a lot of my own covers anyway, or when I do hire an artist, do they probably hate me because I'm like, I send them a, I send them a drawing that I do. I got arrows pointing this color here, this color light here. Oh, they hate you. <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely hate you. <laughs> and and uh, and I, you know, I joke with them. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not like, you know, no, get back to the drawing board. I'm not, I'm not like that, you know, when they yeah. showed me their, their thing or whatever, but I know what I want. I just know that I don't have the artistic ability for that particular style of cover that I know that I want, you know, something like Cannibal Creator. Um, I knew kind of what I wanted and, and, and I knew that I could pull it off with that. And, but as far as like, you know, photo manipulation, if it's not too bad, it doesn't go too crazy. Um, I can do it, it but I don't want to settle. So if I've got this vision and it's like, yeah, I can pull that off then I'll do it. But otherwise I'll, I'll have a, um, another person do it. But anyway, to get back to what you were saying about uh, writing in series and not writing in series, I always felt like I was probably doing it the wrong way and being stubborn, especially when, you know, after talking to you guys or listening to the podcast and other several other podcasts, and I'm constantly still to this day, I'm always, I'm always like on this fence where it's like any day now, I'm just, I'm going to start writing romance or I'm going to write these, <clears throat> this series of like, um, like drama things, or I'm going to write zombies or I'm going to write post-apoc or, or I'm just gonna, or crime or, you know, and so I'm trying to, I don't know that I would have fun with post-apoc or zombies I might have fun with romance. I'm not a, I, I like romantic uh, movies yeah. and I like drama a lot. And um, I'll, that's probably why most of my stuff is arguably not really horror, but more like dark drama stuff with the yeah. exception of a few of them. And um, so dude, I'm always toying with the idea where it's like, you know, I've come up with different pen names that I could do use and just different ideas because like I said, I want to be able to, make a more comfortable living. Um, and I know that doing what I want to do all the time, I don't know that that's going to happen. And instead of, I was joking with Dan recently, I said, I feel like, you know, I write novellas. Um, and it's, it, it's a, a lot of it has to do with, I, a lot of my stuff is written in first person. 
and it's harder to write something long that way. Plus, I always have a smaller cast of characters, and my prose is really lean. So you throw all three of those things together, and it usually turns out to be, you know, pretty short, you know, like 30,000 yeah. words. And I was joking with him. I said, instead of 20 books to 50K, for me, if I continue to do what I'm doing, it's going to be like 75, 80 books to 50K. <laughs> <laughs> so, Well, the, like, I don't know. There's a lot to unpack in what you said. Like, I, I think... Um, like for one, I mean, I will tell you that, uh, the length of books is like, uh, Jay and I, um, we got a piece of advice a while back. I can't say who the author was cause he's pretty private, but, um, mm -hmm. but he, and I mean, but this is a guy who has made millions of dollars, like indie publishing books. And he told us he was like 40,000 words. He was like 40,000 word books. He was like, that, that, that is enough. And I, that's basically what I've done with dead South. The series I'm working on now, those books are all 45 to 50,000 words. And like, no one complains about the length. Yeah. Like, and actually when I talk to people like writer friends of mine who've read them and I tell them how long they are, they're like, Oh my God. Like they did not feel they felt like they were much longer, mm -hmm. like, and not in a bad way. Like, yeah, they, yeah. like that can sound bad, but yeah. um, they didn't feel like they were super short. Right. Um, so like that's, there's no, I, I think the biggest thing out of what you said is there's no like thing you're supposed to do and there's no mm -hmm. rules. Like, you know, I think a lot of people get caught up in that. They hear what, you know, they go into these big groups, like 20 books to 50 K and they see what all these other people are doing. And they think if they yeah. just do that exactly, that they're going to have the same yeah. success, but that's, there's a lot of different paths to do this. I mean, um, I, I know one woman who writes like one book a year, one or two books a year and, and romance, and she's making six figures. Like when everyone else would tell you, you have to rapid release and you have to release yeah. a book a month. Like, and I'm not doing that. I'm, I, I'm writing like 45 to 50,000 word books and I'm probably going to put like four books out this year. Mm -hmm. Like that's, and I have friends who would put out like write books that size and they put out 12. I'm not interested in doing that because I know that'll yeah. make me miserable. Yeah. You know? Um, the other thing I would say is like, I think, I think one big thing that people miss from the right to market thing is and and like talking about chris fox's book specifically like i think one big thing people miss with that is like a lot of people will just like try to find a hot genre and they just write it but what chris said in the book was find the the intersection between what you love and what sells yeah so like i think for you i mean like let's say you said you like maybe you would enjoy writing romance like if that's the case then like maybe that would be a good path for you to go but i think like you know you really need to think about what you like and then yeah. analyze the market and be like okay well like out of all the things i really like which one would give me the best chance to like get a you know start really getting a big profit out of it does that make sense yeah it does and all that's very helpful thanks and, and you're yeah. right on the money man people think yeah and I, i'm guilty of going into those things and go oh so i gotta make you know 70k books at the very least and i gotta do this and that and um the more books i put out because i got like 15 books out and i'll have four more out this year but and you know each each year you know my my um I get more money obviously because I'm having more books out and there's more trick trickle effect and I get the, the readership, you know, 
gets bigger. But um, the, uh, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. I can't remember what I was going to say about the last thing that you just said. But yeah, that's, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And, oh, I was going to say, I think I was going to say something about romance. Um, I don't know that I would, when I say I could write that, I, I wrote a book that is, to me, it's considered romance, but it's also like tragic romance. Like if I put it in the romance thing and then the romance readers read it, they would absolutely hate it. And they're crazy strict on stuff. Yeah. Too. <laughs> and I know that if you're doing, you know, I've read a book on um, how to write a cozy mystery, really helpful. Cause I thought about that too. Um, because I do have a mystery series out. It's like a, a humorous, um, gritty crime noir thing. And that's the one I got Lansdale to read and he loved it. And so I wanted to, I could continue that. And that got good reception. Of course, when you're, I've got so many different genres that I've put out there that some of these things, it's hard to find the readership for. Yeah. And because I hang out with the, um, the horror crowd in the horror circles, when I finally put out a straightforward horror thing like Cannibal Creator, then they all attack it. But if I'm like, well, I did this really cool thing that's written better, it's more entertaining, it's cooler. But then it's like, you know, those same readers, some of the readers follow me just like they would like Lansdale. A lot of his readers, you know, if your brother's writing this uh, splatterpunk thing or a Western or uh, the crime happen Leonard thing or whatever, you know, his readership usually follows. And that's always what I wanted to, to be able to do. It's much harder than I thought it would be because I thought everyone would go, but it's not everyone. It's only, you know, it's, it's a, a smaller percentage of the readership. Yeah. And so it makes that harder. Um, and I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm always in a like, getting good reception on a cannibal creator but then again almost every review says um they mentioned something about lutsky's um usually has this emotional thing in his books and it's like it's there but it's not quite there like his other books and i'm like yeah it's another it, it's kind of frustrating that i'm known as this like heartfelt horror uh, grief horror emotional horror thing it's like just enjoy the book you know i don't have to have yeah. the thing in there I'm not ACDC, you know, I'm not going to put the same. <laughs> but, no like, but that's a, but yeah. yeah, like think about, you know, I mean, artists get stuck in that though. I mean, look, yeah. at, like think about, you have know, a famous example. Think about when Metallica cut their hair, you know, and it's like, <laughs> they can't, yeah. you know, uh, you know, I, I think about a lot of bands like that, that just had to keep making the same record over and over again. And it's just, I like, my favorite band is Opeth mm -hmm. and Opeth has completely reinvented themselves. Like, and turn into something they and, and a lot of their fans just bailed and like play your death metal stuff and i'm just like but i love what that i've stuck with them you know and it's yeah, like it's they're true. not going to make the same record over and over and over again you know it's yeah it's, it's, hard. it's it's why i don't listen to the pumpkins too much anymore i want gish i want siamese dream yeah i don't want yeah. dance music and <laughs> keyboards i want rock again oh so, for yeah. sure dude it's 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 hard and um you know, and I could totally see that with you, you know, because like when I think of your, I, you know, I'm guilty with you because when I think of your stuff, I think of you're the coming of age whore, like, yeah. guy, you know what I'm saying? And, mm. uh, but, but I, you know, I think, I mean, but there are ways for you to tackle that. I mean, cause you can, yeah. um, you know, you mentioned pen names, like you can do pen names. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to me that uh, it, it well, two things for one, like, 
you know, I, I like knowing you the way I do, I know that you've always been a novella writer and you've always like struggled to write longer stuff, which mm-hmm. is um, like some people are, some people are just better at writing short fiction than they are at writing long fiction, you know? And so I think that that would need to be part of your genre research, like finding a genre where like you can write like 40 to 50,000 word books and not have to write 70 to 80,000 words. Yeah. Um, and the other part of it is like, you mentioned crime fiction, like just knowing you, mm-hmm. like if that's something that you enjoy, it seems like that could be a really good avenue for you to go because crime fiction does sell. The other thing is you can write, they can be standalones. Yeah. Like with crime fiction, you, your series can be standalones. You just, you know, you got to have that main character that is, yeah. you know, that is, is and, but each book can be a different situation, a different case, a different murder yeah. or whatever, you know? And so like, you kind of would get to scratch your itch of just writing standalones, but mm-hmm. it's the recurring characters. And like, you probably have to have some sort of overarching yeah. like story for your character, but like, I don't know. Like that feels like that could be really good. I have started that that with um, the series that I started, whatever, with Neon Owl. Yeah, each one is like a, a case, you know, just a amateur sleuth kind of, you know, motel owner turned private eye, illegal private eye. And um, it, those are a lot of fun because I, I like to do humor too. So it's got a lot of humor in it. It's not like, I mean, it's dark. And, and um, so I guess you could, maybe they're like black, black humor, um, dark humor. So I don't, um, if I did anything, it would probably be that. It would probably be crime. I don't think the romance would go over too well because I have the tendency to, uh, you know, have people die. Um, you know, not gory, just because it's part of life and and have sadness in there, and people don't want that in a, you know, in a romance. Have you so. have you ever looked at paranormal or urban fantasy? Um, I've never really read any. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've seen the covers. I'm from I'm. I don't even know that I'm that familiar with the tropes in those. So that's why I asked because like, so urban fantasy has a lot of horror in it. Mm-hmm. Um, like there, there's, there are a lot of horror elements, but there's also um, a lot of crime elements mm-hmm. and, and a lot of snark and dark humor. <laughs> that's why I'm asking you. Mm. Um, Cause like, usually you have, usually the um the main character is like some sort of like detective or investigator or something that is um you know if you look at the most famous one like the dresden files you know mm-hmm. like uh, by jim butcher i mean it's he's each book is an individual story where he's solving some sort of case and it might have to do with like the you know the fancy part comes in where it's like it'll be in like a city setting but they'll the case will involve like werewolves or witches or something, which is kind of where the horror comes into. But then you can do a lot of like the character, the main character should be like really snarky, have dark humor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, like uh, the, from what you're saying, I was like, I wonder if he's ever gotten into like read any of that because it seems like you could have fun. Possibly, I've never, I, I've never, but I, I do struggle with suspension of disbelief when it comes to like supernatural yeah, uh, stuff. I mean, to a certain extent, I do like werewolves and vampires and, and uh, zombies and stuff, but some of the more, unless it's written really well, I do struggle. And with the exception of, you know, a handful of short stories, I usually stay away from uh, anything that's not like real life. Yeah. Just my, you know, personal. For sure. Yeah. Thing. And it might not be for you. I just, from everything you were saying, I was. I will look like, into that. Yeah. I never really consider that. Maybe I will. And I've definitely heard the Dresden Files for sure. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll look into that because I'm always, I'm always 
wanting to read something and just be like, this is it. This is me. This is what I want to do now. And it might yeah. not be like, I don't know. You might read it and it might not be, but you might be yeah. like, like, I don't read a ton of it. I have, but I, mm -hmm. I think I would really enjoy writing it. And I've thought about it. Like, hmm. just cause um, again, you can be really snarky. Um, you know, it, a lot of it's written in first person, which I've, I haven't done a lot of, but want to do more of. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I don't know, like that, that could be, that could be part of, part of, for, for what you to look at, but, uh, but well, let's, um, like, let's talk a little bit about what you've got going on now. So, um, okay. you want to talk a little bit about your latest release? You kind of mentioned it, but, uh, yeah, um, it was basically my, it's my homage to seventies and eighties Italian cannibal films. Um, but That's, kind of with a twist. That's a niche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, kind of with a twist, it's not, it's got, uh, your, your usual things in it for sure. And then, um, and then it goes off into a different direction. It's got really good reception so far. And the, co the cover and the back cover, it's like one of those books you, you need to own the paperback because it looks like, a, yeah, I would agree. you know, on the back cover, it's got like movie stills, like the back of a VHS. Yeah, it looks like a VHS tape. When you sent me the book cover, I was like, I was looking at it and I was like, this is really interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it looks like, yeah, a movie that would that would have a sticker that's in band in 31 countries, like a video nasties from the 80s. And it, it has a warning sticker on, on the cover of it. And it's just a, yeah, it's probably my, if if my, with the exception of some really nasty short stories that I've, I've had published, um, this is my more straightforward, uh, like splatter punk, I wouldn't call it extreme, but like splatter punk, um, you know, kind of gore, yeah, uh, I, I don't. I hesitate to call it any kind of slasher because it's not really that. But um, there's a lot of drama in, in in it too, and some twists. But um, I had a lot of fun. I was just I was getting ready for with uh, for I wanted to do NaNoWriMo again this year, and it was at the end of October, and I put a movie on. It was um, Lucio Fulci's Zombie. Uh, yeah, I, that's what I thought of when you mentioned Italian horror. Funny enough, yeah, and I'd yeah. seen the movie a couple times, you know, and then I thought I was watching. It, I was like, man, I really love the setting and the island horror and everything, but I wouldn't want to do zombies. And I was like, I'm a big fan of Italian cannibal films. I was like, maybe I'll just do something like that. And then um, I did something I never ever do. I completely prepped for Nanorimo and I outlined, which I never. Everything I. I every book I write is just completely, I pants the whole thing. Yeah. So um, I outlined like probably the first half of the book and then NaNoWriMo um, started and I, I wrote the book in like three weeks. First I did the cover. I did the cover, the whole cover before I even wrote a word of the, I, cause I get excited, man, the artwork. You can and, have that cover sitting there and it'll motivate you, man, to finish that book. I'm like yes, that sometimes. It's yeah. a great problem. I've ordered covers before I've, uh, you know, mm. yeah i just did that uh i bought a cover yesterday too for uh something that's that i hope to have out by spring none of it's none of it's uh well i did start writing something uh, years ago but i've got to rewrite everything it's going to be in a different uh pov but um so yeah i'm getting good reception um people are calling it extreme i wouldn't i wouldn't go that far i i think that people who like extreme and read it if they read some of the reviews they're going to be like disappointed this is an extreme but it is um it's it's gory and i go there a couple times so. <laughs> did you enjoy writing that um i did i did and i didn't it, it got really dark in some areas and uh i was like man i can't 
I started to get to a point where I was like, I can't wait to be done with this because yeah. I try to make emotional stuff as emotional as I can. And I, and I, I have this kind of like, um, uh, I get, I'm like an hyper empath. Like if I hear about somebody going through a bad thing, I just, it's so easy for me uh, through a bad time. It's so easy for me to put myself in their shoes and really feel what they're going through. And I get really bummed out for days, even if it's somebody that I don't, I don't know. Like if I read something on the news or, or hear about something that, you know, somebody going through, you know, getting killed locally or, or losing their kid. It's like all I think about. So when I write, um, that used to really bother me that I was that type of person. But when I write, I think it makes for a better um, um, story when I can do that. And so there's some there's some things in this book where I had to do that. And it was just such a bummer, some of the stuff. And I was like, I'm not doing this again. I'm not going to write this kind of thing again. I could see but, though, like being an empath like that. I mean, if, if, if you could find a way and it sounds like you kind of do, but like to turn that energy into your art, it could be cathartic. Yeah. And in, in I've way. written about stuff that I thought I'd be scared to write about. Yeah. Um, and it, and, um, I mean, I, I have written about stuff and get 12,000 words in and, and been like, I can't do this anymore. And then I put it on the back burner for, for four years, but I, I had it, sometimes it is cathartic like that. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, that, I, I asked you if, how you were writing it because like the second book I published was a book called the witness that was like my homage to like seventies horror, like, but more like the slasher genre, like specifically mm -hmm. like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. Um, and it was hard to write, like, cause there were yeah. some, there's a couple scenes in there that got really dark and mm -hmm. it was, it was hard, man. <laughs> like I had to, I, and I usually, I usually am able to like separate things, mm -hmm. but it, it, it was like, I, there were times where I just had to step away and I was like, this is getting really messed up yeah. for me to write. That, yeah, I felt like that. And, and I think um, because I didn't want to like hold anything back, you know, like I don't, I didn't want to uh, not kill a kid, for example, you know, not yeah. kill an, an innocent girl or something like that. Um, I didn't want to censor myself. I, I did after I wrote the first couple chapters, I read them to my wife and she did say, um, you can't do that. It, and I did end up taking this thing out. Yeah. Um, and I was like, it didn't occur to me. I was like, ah, I know this is dark and everything, but she's like, yeah, you can't have that in there. That's a real, and she was right. You know, I shouldn't be killing toddlers and dismembering them on the first <laughs> chapter. No. My buddy, Abe uh, would, would love that. <laughs> yeah. So Shout out I, to Abe for uh, baby killing. Yeah. But, I took it out, but I just wanted to set a tone and I was still able to do it where, um, you know, soon on people are, are like, uh, okay, this is what we're, we're, we're not, nobody's safe kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's man, like even censorship, I mean, is such a, on all aspects, it's such an interesting topic now. Like, I don't, I don't know if you, if you think about that stuff when you're writing just as far as, um, you know, not, not to get too into it and stuff, but just, you know, there's, there's a lot of people in the industry who are, um, and this isn't the same thing as violence necessarily, but people who are using like sensitivity readers and stuff and, yeah. and, but, um, you, you know, not that, not that like killing a toddler, like you're right, that shouldn't be in there. But like, at the same time, there are things that I think a lot of writers are starting to question. And it's like, man, stories should like, 
illicit emotions, you know, and I can yeah. understand like for some things, if you need to have like a warning in the front of your book or something like that, because there are things that I think like that certain people just shouldn't read because it could really like harm, but, but I don't think it means that we shouldn't be writing about them, you know? All right. It's I, a crazy thing. I do have, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought that up because it is an interesting topic, like trigger warnings and content warnings. Yeah. And I have mixed feelings about them. I don't, um, you know, I, if, if, you know, I've got some books, I have one book that if you were to write, you know, trigger warning suicide, I mean, you just spoiled something huge. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't like that. And then, you know, some people are like, if you need trigger warnings, they're in the back of the book. I, I that's a better idea, you know, putting them in the back. I never the thought book. about that. That's actually an awesome idea. Yeah. I have not but, thought about that. But then, and I thought, well, maybe I'll do that. And then I remember um, my publisher, I had a book published by Crystal Lake publishing and joe sent me a message. Yeah, i was gonna say joe a <laughs> shout out to joe yeah god bless yeah. joe he's great um love that guy he he sent me a message and said he he wanted to publish a, a book that i wrote about three girls being held captive and you being used um in sex trafficking and this was their escape it doesn't go through everything is has already happened and they do reflect a little bit there's no graphic stuff everything is kind of implied all of the stuff that stuff that they've been through all the rape many times they're raped and stuff. He said, you want to put content warnings? And I said, well, that's up to you. I said, I don't really want to do that. But so he had um, a handful of women proofread it. And they said, no, you, you don't need to put content warnings on this. And of course, people on Goodreads, you know, they'll, they'll put their own list of content warnings, everything from insomnia to just some, some to get kind of ridiculous with them, with oh. some of the content warnings. But I didn't want to do anything. I figure okay, I've got this cannibal creator thing. And he, let's say I even left the, <clears throat> the toddler dismemberment in there. If you pick up the book and you see the title and you see the, the, I mean, you should be able to tell, you know, this is probably not my kind of thing or where it's going to go, you know, yeah. that this is, so I don't believe in, I I'm, I'm don't want to do that, but I am doing something now that has a lot of self-harm um, and uh, like anorexia and bulimia type stuff in it. And that sort of thing I know can be, truly triggering so i had considered um doing uh yeah doing maybe the thing in the back but then i read this a couple different articles that i wish were shared a lot more and they talked about how harmful content warnings and trigger warnings ultimately are and how it heightens people's anxiety when it doesn't need to be there and that you are that's interesting and okay yeah and so you're you're it's that anticipatory anxiety that you're already building for something. And it's like you're looking for it as you're going through the book. And you're looking for it where you wouldn't yeah. before. And so you're already, That's you have this heightened sense of, and they had all these studies and, it, and bottom line was that they're not helpful and, um, and that they're more harmful than they are helpful. And I know if people take the time to actually consider that instead of just being locked in like we need the content warnings we need the trigger warnings and there's people that suffering from this and this and uh you know i got triggered by i I told this story recently i get triggered um, by something in movies that happens out of nowhere um sometimes and my wife um when i was younger i was crossing the street with my fiance and we were hit by a car and she was killed Sorry to go really dark, but no, dude, it's it's all good, man. You can talk about whatever you want on here. So this falls in line with the um, 
you know, the, uh, the content warnings, trigger warnings. So sometimes when we watch a movie and, and someone just gets hit by a car, and I don't mean the like rolling on smashing the hood, you know, smashing the windshield kind of thing where the taxi hits the guy crossing the street. I mean, like a realistic, like, yeah. that, you know, they go flying and they're, they're ragdoll. If that happens, dude, that puts me in like this. I mean, I'm not in the fetal position, but my mentally, I'm just like in this, I usually turn my head. It's the only thing I'll turn my head, you know, in yeah. because it affects me uh, on a, you know, based on my real life experience. So if, if I have any kind of like trigger, that's it. Well, um, and I was reading this book, Hunter Shea asked me for a blurb like last year. And he wrote this silly book called Bigfoot in the Bronx. And, you know, it's just tongue in cheek, uh, cryptid thing or whatever that, that he does. And I was reading this book and it got to the scene where it was tri like triggering for me. I'd never really experienced that in a book before. And usually when I'm triggered, I just get kind of quiet and my mind wanders and I just, I'm in a dark space for a little while and then I'll kind of come out of it. And it's, you know, I don't scream and sh shed tears or anything like that. I just get bummed out for a while. And this book did that. And I just put it down and just kind of stared at the ground for a while. I was like, man. And so I told Hunter about it and, and, and I laughed about it. And my point of bringing it up and how now and before was you can't, um, our triggers are so specific and you can't just say, you know, if you've got a graphic rape scene, let's say in a book, who's to say that another book that just has a man ripping his belt off and then that's all just doesn't trigger someone way more than this other thing yeah. or, or just anything there's you can have a trigger in anything and if a, a silly book like bigfoot in the Bronx is gonna trigger me you know in, in rather than something else and i always think about that and i was it, and it was at that point where I, where I, it really dawned on me even more that how how specific each person's trigger is. And so I just, I, I don't necessarily believe in them and it's because, or, or support that. And it's mostly to do with, because I don't think that it's uh, helpful. And then I believe the studies that I read about it being potentially harmful and causing, um, you know, emotional states that wouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah, that's interesting. That that's that part of it is really interesting because I've I've thought about the same thing you thought about too. As far as um, you can't predict what's triggering for somebody. Now yeah. there are, I do. To me, this is a question of where's the line, you know? Because um, I do think there are some things that do get discussed that um, you can make the argument that like having a trigger warning can be a good thing, whether it's like sexual assault. Or, you know, you mentioned like food disorders, mm -hmm. um, you know, suicide would be another one, like those types of things. Um, I've stayed away from most of that. I do have one book that's about suicide. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that I put something in there. I actually, it was a while back, so I don't totally remember. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like you, um, so I do, so I do think that there are some instances where it's like, okay, but I, like, similarly to you, man, like, my best friend uh, died in a car accident. Like he was in a FedEx van. And I remember and, that it was, yeah. this was like five or six years ago, right? It was longer than that. It was 2006. Oh, okay. is when Maybe this happened. was somebody else that. 
Um, so I remember you lost somebody and I reached out to you, I think. Oh, no, it, was, it might have been. About, no, maybe you were just talking about like the anniversary of his death or it something. It was probably an anniversary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and yeah, he like uh, was pulling of uh, semi, um, an 18 where was pulling out of a gas station and, and my buddy went right under the back of it. And, um, you know, like sometimes when I, uh, I can see a truck pull out of a gas station and think of, and like yeah. start getting really weird, you yeah. know, like it's, I don't know if I would go as far as saying triggering, but like I do get upset. So I guess mm. it, it can be, you know? Um, so I don't know, like it's, 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 it is an, it, it's really, really interesting thing. Um, yeah. plus and, I question the, the, like, what is, what is the worst case scenario for these triggers? Is it because this is going to put somebody into a bad mood for a while? Or is this, is it going to be life-changing for them? Because if you think about, I feel like some of these people that argue triggers, it's like, you know, I mean, I can understand, let's say like something along the lines of a relapse. Like, let's say we were talking about anorexia and bulimia and stuff. And if somebody's reading about that and all of a sudden, in, in, um, you know, they want to start uh, doing this self-harm stuff, cutting or whatever in, in it, or even a drug, drug addiction. You know, I have a book on heroin and if it causes someone to start shooting up again, um, th- that kind of trigger to me is different than something that points to a past trauma that they that they just are going to be living with for the rest of their life. And if that type of trigger, what is like the worst case, what is being triggered? Is it, does it mean a year of therapy now? Does it mean um, you're bummed out for this, you know, for this particular thing? Yeah. The the other aspect of it that is, um, and I I don't want to be insensitive and go too far down this path, but like, um, but I also think that there is a little bit like when people, when people read that stuff, like who are the people who are really complaining about it vocally? It, it, or <laughs> is it people that are, have yeah, actually right. been through that stuff or, or is it people who are virtue signaling and you could go there with talking about, for people who are, who've gone yeah. through that. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which you could, you could slap that label on. A lot of the problems that we have in the last couple yeah. of years and it's you yeah you're right but so i don't know it's but it's interesting like just the whole thing about censorship and all that and and um because i know that i mean obviously there are people who like do absolutely will read some stuff and it it, it sucks for them like and, mm-hmm. and, you know i don't i definitely don't want to make anyone feel bad for reading my books and i don't want to you know trigger any emotions in them but at the same time like you said it's um like I, I think for me, I personally just stay away from a lot of it because it's usually not really relevant in the stuff I write anyway. Yeah. But you know, you write a lot more drama and stuff mm-hmm. like that, dramatic type stuff. So I could see that being more of a thing for you. So I was just kind of curious, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, if I do trigger warnings ever, it will probably be for this one that will come out because just because I I know. Um, I don't know. I can see that as more of like a triggering thing as far as, you know, like I said, like a more of like a relapse thing rather yeah. than just like remembering a bad time in your life. Yeah. And I, I think that there's good, I think there's ways you can do it too and be kind of subtle about it and like get the message, you know, I, like I love the back of the book idea, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so you're not necessarily spoiling something, but like people who have that, but 
you know, again, that study you mentioned was really interesting though, too. Cause Maybe I, cause I could those. totally see how like that would automatically get people in that mindset when they might not have otherwise even noticed anything. Yeah. You know? Yep. I don't know, but well, man, this has been, this has been an awesome conversation. Yeah, dude, great. yeah, this is, this is really, really good. So, um, man, why don't you take a minute and like, you know, where can people find you? What, where can they find, you know, your latest stuff, like whatever you want to promote pot. We didn't even talk about podcasting. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you can reach, I've got all the links, pertinent links at chadlutzke.com. That's Chad L U T Z K E. And I do have a podcast called bleeding page podcast. It's like, um, uh, we talk about self-publishing dark fiction. I know that there's a lot of better self-publishing podcasts out there that, that you're going to, you know, get a lot more information, but not really ones that cover the kind of stuff that we're writing. Yeah. So, um, and having some of the authors that we have on there and uh, we've got four episodes recorded. Only one of them is live. And so, yeah, check that out. And um, yeah, everything else is at my website, uh, Instagram links and Twitter and all my books and, there's a blog there and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Well, I now have links and stuff down the show notes so uh, okay. people can go check you out. And uh, dude, I appreciate you coming on and spend some time with me. It's Thank been you, awesome. Man. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. We'll do it again. All right. All right. Yeah, all right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Creator Dad Podcast. I'd like to invite you to join the official Creator Dad Discord community where fellow creator dads like you and me connect to discuss our creative endeavors, parenting, relationships, music, movies, and TV, sports, money, all the things that dudes love to talk about. Get all the details at patreon.com slash creator dad.